This is the Mile High Five podcast with Carl Jensen and Doug Cunnington. We have authentic conversations about the journey to Phi, health, happiness, and some very odd tangents. We interview Phi experts, side hustlers, people on their way to Phi, and those who have reached the other side. Join us every week, and if you want the show notes and links and all that other stuff, head over to milehighfi.com. Hello, world. Hello, Camp Fi. Welcome to the Mile High Fi Podcast. I'm Carl Jensen with my co-host. I'm Doug Cunnington. And we have two more special humans on the panel tonight. Why don't you tell us your name and what you do? I'm Becky Heptig. I'm the co-host of Catching Up to Fi. And I'm Mark Troutman. I'm just an imposter up here answering questions with the three of you guys. (laughs) So we have questions that were submitted all through the day. We're going to go through as many as we can. And we're actually sitting here with a live studio audience. So thanks for all the questions. And let's get to the first one. All right, here we go. For stock market, best place to invest your money in current market, individual stocks, ETFs, covered calls, and where have you personally invested? Um, I would say that I don't think it matters what kind of market you're in. I think pick a plan, stick to the plan. And for me personally, I use index funds. It's mostly equities, and I have a very limited amount of fixed income, and that's really just short-term treasuries, um, and that's my personal plan, so this is not advice. We need our uh, little our guy dis- up oh, here, yeah, our, our man up sure. here, yep. <laughs> um, but that's what I do, and I think that works in all environments. I'm a big fan of crypto, specifically <laughs> Doug coin. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Doug has his own coin, and it's awesome. What is it up, like a million percent in the past hour? Yeah, I'll tell y'all all about it in a few minutes. You're going to get it on the ground floor. <laughs> all right. Next one. Best budget travel places. I know Carl just went to Hawaii. Wasn't that a budget? That was a budget yeah, item, right? I could say the opposite of that. We went for a helicopter ride in Hawaii, so I think I'm the least qualified person to answer this question. I think we might top you on that one because <laughs> Becky and I just got off a cruise from Alaska, and that was definitely not, not the budget an place. inexpensive budget. It probably could be, but it wasn't when the way we did it. I do think I have a good answer for this. I found that my travel is more rewarding when I build it around people. Uh, this past weekend, I met Patrick and Julie, who live in Eau Claire, and I have a Midwest road trip. There they are in the audience. And that's going to be pretty cheap, I think. I don't think Eau, Eau Claire does not sound like a fancy place. So I would say... <laughs> no, I'm not taking anything <laughs> It sounds great, but what what, what I found is super cool is building travel around interesting places and the people. I think the people make it much more fun, and that might even be my priority. We just visited Mark and Crested Butte. And I didn't send you the bill yet for that, by the way. (laughs) Doug, what's your address for the bill? (laughs) Well, I'll throw in that we are trying to visit all the national parks. Mm-hmm. So traveling there may or may not be expensive, but typically once you get there, you can kind of control your costs. And, you know, it's not a destination with people necessarily, but you can kind of build road trips around it. And that's typically what we try to do. Yeah, and I'd like to add that I think just being in this community, you'll meet a lot of people and be able to maybe stay at their houses or whatever. And I have found that to be, you know, adding that social aspect, but also it 
often is very economical to just find friends in the community and um, potentially stay with each other and so forth or travel together and maybe get an Airbnb together and bring the cost down. Uh, absolutely. And, and our community is spread all across the world. So there's, there's some, going to be somebody somewhere. All right, next. How do you find your niche within the podcast world? And I'm going to say for us, it was just a personal passion. I have a passion for um, financial literacy for folks who are older because my husband and I started so late. We were up against a wall because we had made so many poor choices early in life. And then we had to do something really big, really fast. And it, it kind of got painful. And so my goal was to try to help folks not do that. So my niche came out of my personal passion. And I'd love to hear what your niche is. <laughs> <laughs> and that was directed to Carl and Doug. Yeah, Carl, what, what do you think the show's about? Um, asparagus? <laughs> <laughs> we talk a lot about asparagus, more than you would think for a Phi podcast. <laughs> I have a couple podcasts and kind of the same, Becky, it's like something you're passionate about because people probably won't listen. They don't care about you or what you're saying until you do it for a while. So you have to be passionate, I think, so that you can get some traction and kind of stick with it for a while. Now, your show got traction pretty quick though, right? It did. And that tells me that we are targeting an underserved segment of the population. Which we we kind of knew that ahead of time, but we we got more response than we expected. Right. And um, the other thing I would say is, uh, sort of like starting a side hustle. I mean, our we don't monetize our podcast, so it's not a side hustle. But if you you could apply some of the same principles of find a problem and solve it, mm-hmm. you know that. See a need, fill a need. Right. That's right. What was that? I was in Robots or something. That movie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Anything else? Good. Yeah, I just think be passionate and excited about for whatever you talk about. There's some podcasts I listen to, and I don't really care much for the subject material, but the hosts make it so interesting that uh, I listen to it anyway. And that's what we're going for, right? Yes. We, <laughs> <laughs> we have nothing to add to the world. <laughs> that sounds right. All right, next. Society and social media show the wins and positives in life. What is a failure you've experienced how did you overcome it, and what lesson have you taken from it? Ooh. All right, so I'll go. I'll go quick here. I have a lot to choose from, but I had a, <laughs> I had a foreclosure because I made a, a bad uh, purchasing decision uh, with a house in two thousand five kind of a bad time to buy. I thought maybe I'd be able to rent it out in the future. Of course, I didn't do any research or think about it. I was like, maybe I'll do that. It was underwater after a few years. I actually tried to rent it out, lost like two or $300 a month for, I don't know, too long, two or three years, and then decided to strategically let it go to default. The foreclosure took place. It ended up being a great financial decision, but it was like a, a matter of risk management. And then no one gives you advice to do the foreclosure. Everyone says, don't do it. It'll, it'll fuck things up for seven years or longer. Um, but it ended up being great. And I had to get a lot of things organized ahead of time. But yeah, that was a failure, but I, I got out of it. Uh, I think my big one, and I can think of lots of examples, is focusing too much on money and not enough on life. My uh, 
Famous one that my wife likes to talk about is we were flying to Camp Fly in, in Florida, and instead of getting a direct flight there, I saved like 20 bucks by going to Minnesota and then Chicago <laughs> and then Gainesville, I think. <laughs> uh, I am banned from not clicking the nonstop button on the Southwest website from this point on. And I, I can add one, and this was going way back, but I did try options trading for, it was like index options trading. I think I lost somewhere between five and $10,000, and that was in the early 90s. So I don't know what that is in present value. I was definitely a lesson in short-term trading, which I certainly didn't do after that point in time. But um, So it was a failure, but it was also a good lesson at the same time. Sure. Sure. All right, next. And this question is directed at Carl. Carl, what caused dinosaurs to become extinct? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, Diana told me it was Cincinnati chili. <laughs> I think it was the asteroid, right? The uh, Earth was at the wrong place at the wrong time. We saw one today. I was a little worried about that. I don't know how many people saw the meteor today. That was crazy. Yeah, yeah. so uh, during the hike, yeah, go ahead, Mark, go ahead. Yeah, during the hike, the number of us just saw this super bright light, but it at first it kind of looked like a firework, but it was coming down, and it was, you know, pretty bright out, so it's rare that you see it, and I wasn't the only one. I wasn't, you know, it wasn't flashbacks <laughs> or anything. <laughs> I checked and made sure, what? and other people saw it too, so I think I'm on good ground there. Yeah. What, what did you have in your water bottle this morning? <laughs> <Whoa>. <laughs> we can talk about that off the record. <laughs> All right, next. At what point in a relationship do you start sharing details of finances or having financial conversations? And I will say that uh, I made the mistake of not – I didn't have conversations about anything terribly important beforehand. Not just finances, but lots of stuff that should have been discussed before we got married. Yeah, I would say um, I met my uh, wife when we were very young, and I think we were on the same page about everything. So we uh, started off initially talking about everything, and I think that was a good thing. So we were always, um, you know, aware of our finances together and, and mm -hmm. other things together, too. So that was our experience. Cool. Uh, the funny thing was Mindy and I had this conversation, and the funny thing was I don't think we ever talked about money before we got married, but there were signs in mine as uh, – she felt a little bit embarrassed about this. On our first date, she's like, where should we go? And I had bought this, just like a fundraiser coupon book, and there was a buy one, get one free at this barbecue place. I'm like, hey, I've got this coupon for a free meal. And, and I had forgotten about this, and she reminded me, and I was kind of horrified. I'm like, I did that on our first date? I'm like, wow, I did. But, but then the thing she told me is like, I thought that was good. I I thought you might have been good with money after I saw that. So, well, we didn't have the conversation. You see these little hints there. Like, ask your date where they want to go if they're, if they're good for the Taco Bell, like $5 box. I think it's a $8 box with inflation. Like, maybe they're marriage material. <laughs> All right. What's better, increasing income or decreasing expenses? And then the second Follow-up question. Who amongst you is the better singer? <laughs> I'm definitely not the singer. <laughs> yeah, I'm not. I'm not the I singer I heard you're either. the dancer, though. Yeah, we'll, we will dance later. Well, not me and you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> well, maybe. I can, you could follow. Well, right? that's true. Well, maybe. We'll see. <laughs> 
I think uh, maybe earning more, and I come from it from an entrepreneurship side, so I'm like, I see more upside there. Um, I can't answer both because that's missing the point of the question. But yeah, what do y'all think? Oh, I think income because you can only go so far down and it becomes a a bad thing to go too far down. So, and there's lots of ways to make money. Yeah, I, I agree. I think, mm-hmm. you know, initially it's, it's relatively easy to look around and see, if, you know, some opportunities to cut expenses, but, you know, increasing the income is probably where you're going to have the bigger leverage. Right. And, uh, and that might even be a different conversation if you are, let's say you're married and your spouse is not on board. If you try to frugal down too much, you're going to get some pushback or some resentment, but definitely look around and see what you're spending money on that maybe isn't important to you. You know, cutting expenses is important, but the increasing income has a bigger upside. Right. Who should pay for the first date? We had a discussion about this at lunch, Ooh. as a matter of fact. Ooh. And I'm not in the dating field and haven't been for eons, so I can't answer that. <laughs> but if I had to guess, I almost think it would be cool to split it, right? Um, but I could be wrong. You guys have any opinions on that? <laughs> yeah, it's been a while for me, too. I, I, don't, I, I would think, uh, I don't know. I think I would still pay for it. I don't know. Can I go on a date with you? <laughs> <laughs> you, uh, we're yeah, going to be dancing. Gonna dance. And yeah. you're going to dance. <laughs> right. I have an idea where to take you. Oh, so. is it Taco Bell? <laughs> <laughs> with a coupon. <laughs> Doug, where was your first date and did you pay for it? Oh, man. Hold on. I, I think I did. It was a fucking terrible place. Hold on. Let me think where it was. It was a bad. Um, We'll do, I'll say Fuddruckers. It wasn't Fuddruckers, but um, it was maybe the equivalent of that terrible to go on a first date. Doug, I like Fuddruckers. <laughs> you could take me on a date, Doug. I'm not dancing with you, though. <laughs> All right. Yeah, my, you know, my opinion is going to be whoever does the asking. Okay. Oh, good one. Whoever asked for the date. So, it's, yeah. just me. Of course, I'm also know. old-fashioned and think that most yeah. of the time that's the guy. All right. Another dating question. Dating while fi, how to meet, how to see if values align, or how to, should you, try to convert a significant other to fi. So this was another conversation at lunch today. <laughs> we had really, it was a big dating conversation, but I think it was firedating.com, and correct me if I'm wrong on that. Dot me, firedating.me. And apparently there's an episode out there with Paula Pan and... Pete, Mr. Money Mustache, talking about this. I don't know which episode it is, but it was on Afford Anything. So if you're interested in learning more about that, that was uh, news to me. So is there uh, is there a five dating site? Yeah. Is there really? Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> Are you going to... Does Steven Not that this? I need it. <laughs> <laughs> I think a great answer to that is to come here. There's single people here. They've passed through the filter. And as, 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 far, as, as far as converting someone, I think it's easier just to dismiss that person and find a new person. You know, at, <laughs> at, at Camp 5 Mid-Atlantic, there was a table at lunch for singles in the fire community. And I think there were what, 20 something people that, and it went over really well. They had a great time. So yes, come to camp five. There may be a dating table. (laughs) 
<laughs> yes. Well, and you know, on the cruise, there were uh, uh, meetups for the singles on the cruise. Yeah. So, hey. I didn't, we could I didn't do- go to that one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Could have just been saying. A, just yeah. saying. Age might have been a factor. <laughs> <laughs> All right. With the plethora of podcasts and other content, what sets yours apart? <laughs> we we have a good time. So we wouldn't do it if we weren't having fun. So we we're kind of light on the fi material, I think, cuz it's been done before and we're not trying to recreate the wheel. So we have a good time, usually have great conversations and like our I think our personalities come out. Yeah, for that's for worse on my part. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what about you, Becky? I forgot the question already. Well, you have it in front of you, <laughs> no, right? No, it's behind oh, it's, me. It's been tossed. It's, uh, it's been tossed. Sorry. Okay. Moving on. <laughs> uh, but this is another podcast question, and I will answer this one. What do you wish for your podcast audience to do, do better, or change to help your podcasts? And I'm not real sure what they mean by to help the podcast. I'm hoping that my audience changes for the better to help themselves. And... You mentioned that it's all been done, and it has all been done, although on our podcast, we are sort of starting back at basics and moving forward from there because the people listening to our podcast maybe haven't listened to anything else before. So, uh, you know, we're, we're trying to, to help people get their, their money lives turned around and pointed in the right direction, and then also what we're trying to do is offer hope because there's so many of our audience that think it's too late and that have lost hope. They kind of are ready to give up. Once they realize what they've done and they have this whole emotional ball to to deal with, with that shame, regret, remorse, guilt. And then once they get past that, sometimes it's just, it's like, it just feels too hard. So that's that's what we offer ours, our audience. I cannot follow that up. <laughs> yeah, that was a pretty good answer. Okay, all right, next. Oh, another podcast question. Is there someone in the audience that wants to start a podcast? (laughs) How do you keep your podcast from becoming an echo chamber? In which ways do you go against the personal finance grain? I think the podcast speaks for itself for you guys. Right. 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 We've definitely done, done things a little bit differently. And this episode that I'm thinking of, It'll be out in a little while, but basically, uh, Carl was out. He was doing something. I don't know, installing a bidet, perhaps. <laughs> but Amberly and I did a show on why we should have our Fi like membership cards revoked because we do all these things that you're like not supposed to do. Um, so I think like our show does kind of go against the grain, mm-hmm. and we've we did like a four part series on like how frugality is bad and it ends up making it harder to spend money later. And a lot of us, you know, I don't know, we took a lot of pride in saving. We got really good at it. And now it's hard to like flip the switch. And you're like going through the transition right now, right? Yeah. <laughs> I'm coaching him. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> what was the original question? <laughs> How does your podcast go against the personal finance grain? Uh, yeah, I think we talk about whatever we want to talk about. Huh? That might not be such a great answer, but uh, we probably go against a lot of different grains, I think, 
Yeah. Get some hate mail. Especially in your sponsorship discussions. <laughs> yeah. We have no sponsors. If you want to learn how to do a podcast that doesn't get any sponsors that you have to pay to do, listen to <laughs> We have fun, though, right? That's it is fun. Well, it is. And my opinion is sort of if you don't like what I'm talking about, go someplace else. Yeah. You know, there's there's a lot of people out there. All right. Best first credit card for a young 20-year-old, non-travel related. Well, I think, you know, if it's non-travel related, just do the cash back card. And, you know, again, not an affiliate, not promoting anything. But, you know, there are cards out there that will give you 2% cash back. I would look into those. That's probably the easy button uh, if you're not looking to do mm-hmm. travel rewards or anything like that. You guys have any? Other suggestions on that? Yep, works for me. All right. This person's asking for a poll. Who has practiced borrowing against life insurance policy, sometimes called infinite banking? Not me. No, yeah, it sounds kind of scammy, so I, I haven't done that. No. I mean, I'm a fan of just term life insurance and not whole life insurance, but that's that's just me. Right. And, yeah, that's what... We're, we're past the point of having life insurance, but that's what we would do also. Mm-hmm. It's just one other, um, sorry to interrupt you, that's but good. one other failure that I had was I bought whole life insurance as an investment to do that kind of shit. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was in my early 20s. And then uh, recently I I got rid of it and like just got the, got the cash out. Luckily, I was in there long, <laughs> I was in there long enough. Luckily that they <laughs> Luckily, took all your yeah. money for 10 years. Yeah, and you could get out scot free. <laughs> I, I I had I had a little bit of a return, and, and anyway, I got out of there and got some money back. So, yeah, yeah, I would say some insurance salesman is trying to sell you something. So yeah. the consensus yeah. is probably not. Yeah. All right. Don't do it. Don't do it. Okay. Where will I meet a financially independent man who can travel the world with me and dance salsa? <laughs> ah! <laughs> I think that one was signed, too. (laughs) I won't name names. (laughs) No, but we know who it is. We know who it is. All right. Any any world-traveling salsa dancers that that are of the male persuasion in the audience? Do we have any takers? (laughs) I'm so sorry. (laughs) For the 4% withdrawal rule, how frequent are the withdrawals made? Um, well, I mean, generally people that are going to withdraw from their portfolio are going to do it, in most cases that I see, on a monthly basis. Um, so that's the direct answer to that question. Mm-hmm. Creating creating your paycheck. Right. Creating a monthly paycheck. Or you could pay yourself, you know twice a month or whatever you used to, mm-hmm. whether it's weekly, there really is no right or wrong answer to that. Mm-hmm. So I guess the, so let me ask this, the the 4% withdrawal would be 4% per so year, it's, month. Yeah, four per, it's basically, let's say you had a million dollar portfolio, hypothetical, of course, so it's 40,000 a year mm-hmm. in year one, mm-hmm. adjusted for inflation. So in year two, whatever inflation was, it would be 40,000 plus that inflation rate for year two and then you continue on so it's not four percent per year it's four percent from that starting year's portfolio value right and then taking that number and if you wanted to pay yourself monthly just divide that by 12 correct okay got it 
What would you improve about the FI community? I would like, and I think the FI community is doing this already, Mm -hmm. having more discussions about non-financial things, the non-financial side of financial independence. So purpose, and there was great discussions, great breakout sessions here at this camp about that. And Ryan's presentation was a perfect example of that. So I liked seeing more and more of that. Yes, yes. And, and I think that what the FI community is doing well is the connection and relationship part. Um, I don't like the rush to judgment. So sometimes you'll see people, this especially happens online, surprise, surprise, YouTube comments, where people will throw someone, someone under the bus for that decision. And um, you've never met that person. You don't know. They're 50 years old. You don't know what accumulation of experiences they've had in those 50 years that led up to that decision. So stop being judgy and try to understand mm-hmm. the other person before you before you say some mean thing. Yep, I agree. All right, what's the craziest financial mistake you've seen someone make? And I'm going to answer that for me. Uh, one of the first things right after we got married was we bought a house. This was in, we got married in 79, bought a house in 1980. We'd been married six months. And everybody was like, got to buy a house, got to buy a house. And uh, that was during the, what, what ended up being the end of an oil boom. We lived in Houston in an oil town. We didn't know it was going to bust. And we bought a house for $64,000, which was a lot of money then. We paid on it. We moved away, couldn't sell it. The housing market tanked in Houston. Moved away, couldn't sell it rented it at a loss, moved back to it, tried to sell it again, couldn't sell it, moved away into the home we wanted to be in forever, and rented it again, and finally sold it. We'd owned it for 12 years and paid on it. And we, when we sold the home, we took the keys and a check to the closing table. We still owed money on it. So that was my mistake. Um, I once saw a friend inherit multiple hundreds of thousands of dollars within like five years. It was all gone and nothing to show for. I have one. And that is seeing some families raise children that become economically dependent on those parents. So kind of economic outpatient care. And it sounds like it's not a big deal, but when you compound that over many years, um, that is potentially really detrimental to those parents. So sorry, Katie, you're off balance sheet. <laughs> <laughs> what, uh, this is for real estate gurus, best type of properties to invest in in the current market, residential, commercial, and best parts of the country. Carl, you're the expert in this group, I think. Yeah, yeah expert in the <laughs> loosest of terms because uh, I am not an expert, but... Uh, Real estate, you can make more money than you can in the stock market, but you have to do a lot of research. So I don't think there is one right answer. It's whatever your area of expertise and whatever you've spent time studying. Like uh, the the past house that we bought, it took us three years to find it. Uh, We subscribed to the MLS. We saw every listing that came across. We studied it so much that we could probably tell within 10 seconds whether it was a deal worth pursuing. So it's not an easy answer. If you're going to get into real estate, you're going to have to put your time in. Especially now, it's a different environment, high rates. And uh, like I know nothing about, what do they say, commercial and multifamily? Mm-hmm. Residential, commercial. Yeah, I might be yeah. able to tell you a little bit about residential, but commercial, I know nothing about. I would say pick a niche, find some smart people to maybe 
uh, work for and learn from them, but you can make money with any kind of real estate in any environment, but uh, I would say put your time in and do the work. Mm-hmm. All right. What was the pivotal moment in your FI journey? Oh, I can go quick here. I moved to Longmont and that helped a lot because I, I met Carl, joined the co-working space, and I was kind of aware of the fire movement, but I didn't really pay too much attention. But once I got into the community, y'all sucked me in, I guess. So it's great. Yeah, I would say my pivotal moment was when I was hired as a 23-year-old at a company and I got a big raise. And the boss that I had said, max out your 401k with your raise. You'll still effectively have a larger paycheck even with maxing it out, I went home, I talked to my wife, I said, do you have one of these 401k things? And she said, yes. And I was like, you need to max it out. And we both did that from our early 20s. And that's what basically enabled us to retire early. Wow. Wow. So max out your 401k. So this is always kind of weird with Pete in the audience, but this whole story happened in about 15 minutes. I I was having a bad time at work. I Googled, how do I retire early? Up came this Mr. Money mustache guy. And I'm like, wow, this guy says he can retire at like 30 or 31. I found a scam. And then I, like five minutes later, I'm like, it's not a scam. It's all about numbers. Uh, so I ran out to my wife who was in the kitchen doing something. I'm like, hey, you know, I've been having a bad time at work. I'm, I'm really unhappy and all. She's like, yeah, yeah. She's like, I discovered this uh, this mustache guy in the internet. She's like, what are you talking about? I'm like, I'm like he says, I can, I can quit. We just have to save up a little bit more and then I can leave my job. And she's like, okay, yeah, that sounds great. <laughs> in my head, I'm like, are you nuts? I just came out of the office with this talking about mustaches and all this stuff. <laughs> but then the funny thing is the other thought I had after that is so I'm like, he's got this blog and I kind of like to write. So I think I'm going to do the same thing too. And she's like, it's a terrible idea. <laughs> When did you start the blog? Um, January 1st, 2013. Okay. Wow. And what is it? Uh, 1500days.com. That's how many days I thought it would take me to retire. I'll have to check it out. It sounds cool. It, it sucks. <laughs> <laughs> One of my pivotal moments was actually um, being introduced to the FI community by my oldest son. Uh, a lot of people have heard me say this before. He said, hey, I think there's this podcast you'd like to listen to. And I said, what's a podcast? <laughs> and then I said, well, how do you listen to it? So he introduced us to the Choose a Five podcast. And, and it went from there. And then the second pivotal moment was he invited Stephen and I to this camp in 2019. And that opened up this whole new world and, and community for us. And now our life is sort of centered around all those things that happened because of those two. And that's where you and I met too. That is where yeah. we met. Mm-hmm. Yep. Right here in 2019, talking about money and cars. Right. I remember <laughs> that. <laughs> all right. If Phi is a fad, oh no, is Phi a fad amongst tired high earners following the events of 2008 to 2021, or does it have staying power? I would say, from my experience, I didn't discover financial independence in the community until after I had retired and realized I was financially independent. Mm -hmm. So FI has been around a long, long time, well before the kind of FIRE movement became popular. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think this is, you know, if it was 
in existence prior to what you read about, there's no reason it won't be in existence beyond any, you know, additional social media, you know, uh, exposure and so forth. So it's, it's not a fad. It's plenty of people have been doing this for many, many years. Right, right. And, and you don't have to be a high earner. No, I don't believe so. I mean, it helps, but... Right. It gets you there faster, but it's not right. required. No. Yeah. And and I think that the FI community is has, in the time I've been aware of it, I think it's morphed into a, a better thing even than it was at first. And I'll, uh, I want to ask you a question, Carl, to step on top of that one. How have you seen the, the FIRE movement change since you got started blogging in 2013? To now, like 10 years, right? Yeah, I'd be curious to hear what Becky has to say about, about my main thing. I just had a conversation earlier. When I went to my first uh, conference, it was back in 2013, and it was a bunch of people who looked just like me, like middle-aged uh, dudes who program computers, and now it's much more diverse. And uh, that's really good because this should be for, for everyone. Uh, there's so much value in getting your money and figuring out your finances and your money that uh, this shouldn't just apply to dude programmer pros. <laughs> mm -hmm. Becky, how do you think it's changed? I think it's changed from uh, the super frugaling, we're going to eat beans and rice and get there as fast as we can, to let's enjoy the journey along the way and just create the life we want to have. If it takes a little longer, that's okay. Yeah, I think there's more of a focus on what happens afterwards now, before it was all about eating beans and living. I think the Jacob Lund Fisker guy lived in like someone's basement or something like that. And now I think we're talking about spending. And I hope the part that comes after that is how we get back. Cause I think a lot of us are pretty, we save more than we need to, and we're going to end up with more. So what do we do with that? And how do we give back to other people up the world? Oh, absolutely. I think that's the continuation of it all. I hope it is at least. Right. Right. And, and I think there's a, one of the things I love about coming to Camp Fi is there's so much of that. I mean, there's some of us in the audience that don't necessarily need to come anymore, you know, uh, to to learn something new. I do always learn something new, but it's the uh, connections and it's the giving back. You know, we usually have a chance to sit and chat with someone. I mean, Stephen and I, we've been to seven Camp Fi's and there's only been one where there was someone older than us at the camp. We were always the oldest ones here. We've been around the sun a few more times than other people in the room. And not that we're any smarter than, than anyone else, but we've got more life experiences. And so we can share those with people too. All right. So what is the best way to increase your rental real estate portfolio with limited time and resources while reducing risk. And with in, in parentheses, but beside limited time, they have raising a family and having a W-2 job, and then limited resources, meaning money. Well, I would say, I mean, you could always invest in a real estate investment trust, you know, and you can have real estate exposure. Um, you know, it doesn't require really any time um, you're not necessarily going to get the sweat equity returns that you would in owning real estate directly, but, you know, and I've never really owned real estate other than my primary residence. And, mm -hmm. you know, I've gotten to financial independence without it. So I don't think you have to do it. And right. if you choose to do it, great. If you don't choose to do it, that's fine too. Mm -hmm. 
I don't I don't know anything about rental real estate. We've also not done it, but I've seen other people do turnkey rentals, which seems to be a little less labor intensive. But there's no free rides, right? Like right. if you if you're gonna hire people to do it, then it's gonna cost more and right. they have limited resources. So right. and then Carl, you did do the sweat equity and you were putting in like crazy hours or whatever, right? Yeah, I do do that. That's like the opposite answer to the question because yeah. that was not a I gave up a lot of my time in life to do that. Uh, to answer the question, a syndication might be another option or putting your money behind people. I do private lending. Uh, there's a lot to that as well, but if you can find some good people, there's good people out there who need money and there's ways to do it to minimize the risk. I think I'd make like 12% from that. And that's a good deal for them as well. You heard it here. You can make 12% on syndicated <laughs> real estate. It's entertainment purposes. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Ramsey, I think that's his number. Oh, I feel dirty yeah. now. <laughs> that was Madoff's number too, right? Oh, geez, I don't know. <laughs> All right. Believe it or not, we are at the last question. Wow. We did good. We did good. All right. Our adult children moved out of our primary home. So question number one, our son leased his own vehicle and wants us to add him to our policy. Is this fraud? Is it a good idea? And would claims be covered? I don't have I, – I think you got to talk to an insurance agent. Well, technically, if you're going to have someone have a vehicle under your policy, they need to be under your roof. Mm -hmm. So if they're not under your roof, they technically have to have their own policy. Mm -hmm. Okay. So that generally answers most of that question. I didn't quite hear the last part because someone was whispering in my ear. <laughs> <laughs> it was me. He's was he's me. he's sitting at the dance date. Yeah. yeah, we were we were yeah we were talking about salsa. Okay. <laughs> so the question was, um, their son leases his own vehicle and wants the parents to add him to right. their. I policy. think I got that because yeah. I think he's not living in the house. If, if I right, recall, right. right. So basically, is that a good idea? No. And the answer is no. All right. Yeah. Question number two: Their daughter lives in the parents' rental. And the parents own her vehicle. Can she remain on their policy? Again, it goes back to, are they under the same roof? Okay. I, that's my understanding because I was asking for my daughter who will soon not be under my roof and how it works. And that was the answer I received. So, again, that's mm -hmm. my understanding. Mm -hmm. And as someone with no kids, don't take my answer too seriously. But um, – Stop paying for your kids' stuff. Make them pay for their own shit. Yeah, didn't we just right? talk about economic <laughs> outpatient care, right? <laughs> yeah. Yep, yep. But I don't have kids, so I don't know. No, they're, they're capable. So All right. We hit, we hit the end of our questions, but I have a question for you, Mark. So um, you retired early. Can you tell us when and how, like how old you were? And then I want to talk about your fun bucket, which uh -huh. sounds worse uh, out of context, but you'll describe it in a second. It's yeah, like so <laughs> Mark's fun bucket. Yeah. So I retired uh, at the end of 2017. So that's what almost we're going up, coming up on eight years, I guess, or seven and a half. Um, and I was age 50. Um, I also had a challenge spending that money, um, hence the fun bucket. And if you want me to go into what that is or you want to Please, ask me yeah. a question about that. Yeah, just uh, tell us the concept because I think, you know, one of the themes we're running into is like it is harder for us to turn off the saving muscle and start spending a little bit. So 
how did you address it with a fun bucket? Yeah, so actually it was an idea of a friend of mine who was in a similar situation, slightly different age, but um, had retired a number of years prior. We were both kind of looking back, and it was this was probably, I want to say two years ago, so five years into retirement. Um, I had and he had the same sequence, obviously, in that prior five years, and we were kind of talking about how our portfolios had done better than expected. And so, therefore, what to do with that? Should we re-retire and reset our you know, withdrawal rate, or should we do something different? And he said, you know, I have a fun bucket, and that's something you might want to consider. And I'm like, what the hell is a fun bucket? And he said, well, basically, um, take some of the cream off the top of the portfolio, this excess return that you didn't expect, stick it over into a separate savings account, literally label it fun bucket, which I've done, and allow yourself to spend on things that you wouldn't ordinarily spend on. So those things included, um, for instance, maybe I would be out to dinner with some friends and I'd pick up the check or so now, of course, everyone's going to want to go out to dinner. With me, right? <laughs> and I'm not picking up your check. Doug, yeah, I asked Because you. you said you were going to I was going to take you. Right, yeah. right exactly. Um, or potentially like upgrade to a higher class on an airline or stay in a nicer hotel. Um, and what I found was that just having the ability to do that, knowing that there was money set aside outside of the financial independence portfolio that I was living on, um, allowed me to do things and make decisions that I wouldn't ordinarily do. So it kind of flexed that spending muscle. Um, and what I also found was I would say, oh, you can reimburse yourself from this. So I put it on a credit card like we all do to get the points and all that stuff. And then when the bill comes, I can pay for it out of the fund bucket. What I found was a lot of these decisions I was making were actually fitting in with my normal kind of paycheck lifestyle. And I wasn't really having to reimburse myself as much as I thought, but just having the money there was allowing me to make those decisions. Now, we did do this big cruise. Mm -hmm. And when that came up as an idea, I was like, I'm all in. Didn't even have to think about it. Didn't have to say, I don't know. Is there enough money? Do I want to pull out the portfolio back and forth? I was just like, I'm all in. And the group of us are going to Amy Minkley's uh, FI Freedom Retreat in Bali. Again, no-brainer decision. I'm in. Let's go. Let's do this. So it has allowed me to do more things and kind of get more comfortable spending. And it doesn't affect my long-term you know, viability of my financial plan in any way. So do you have you have a finite amount right now in that fund bucket. Like this isn't, I can just spend willy nilly, whatever I want. No. So I basically kind of came up with this number in my mind, which I would say was in the vicinity of maybe 25% more than my normal annual spending. Mm -hmm. So like a 25% bonus amount. Right. And I funded it for a four year period. And so that was two years ago, and I've actually only spent about a year's worth because it was about less than half. So hence the bigger trips that are happening, right? Right, right. <laughs> so we did book another cruise for next year, so that's going to drain the fun bucket a little bit. Um, but, you know, when I get to the end of that four-year period, I will probably just replenish it again because, again, my sequence has been very good so far. Um, even with the market downturn and everything, I still have a lot of, you know, kind of excess from that early five-year period. So I will probably just, you know, replenish that fun bucket when the time comes. Mm -hmm. 
Lots of fun. Lots of fun. (laughs) It's awesome. (laughs) Any follow-up questions, Carl? I don't think so. Uh, Well, I I guess I do have one for Mark, and I know I asked you about this before. Does the fun bucket turn into like a fun wheelbarrow and then maybe a fun dump truck and maybe one of those massive fun and then you're going to take us all on a first flight you're going to charter a plane and take us all to like Ireland on a tour I would love to do a charter jet one day but I don't think the fun bucket is quite going to do that maybe we'll see I'm rooting for you Mark well Stephen and I have has sort of adopted that same idea, except instead of a fun bucket, we have a fun pail. <laughs> it's, it's it's a little one, but we still have it. <laughs> gotcha. And yeah, like, um, well, Carl, do you have anything like that? Um, I do not have a fun bucket, but I'm trying to. Uh, so one thought I had: we were on the Ruby podcast, and uh, I've done a lot of thinking about that. But real quick, our the thought I've had is my day-to-day life is real cheap. I don't want to change anything about it. I like where I live. I like the cars. If we had 100x the money we had now, I wouldn't change a thing about it. You'd get the Tesla finally, right? Yeah, I probably would buy that. Uh, <laughs> Go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. But I think what I'm going to do is do outside spending on some crazy experiences. So I think I think Pete actually... I stole this idea from you a couple of years ago. Someone asked him what he would do if he had a lot of money. I think you said, correct me if I'm wrong, you do Rent a castle somewhere and invite all your friends and have a big party. Oh, that sounds like a great idea. I'm waiting for that invitation. <laughs> 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 oh, you're writing his list? Well, I'm going to do that. <laughs> oh, might, you're going to do it. Yeah. Oh, okay. Pete might help with the list. Oh, okay. So, so getting good with Pete and me or maybe Mark and uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, Josh. Yeah. Sounds like I might be paying for part of this castle. <laughs> <laughs> we'll take your jet, Mark. <laughs> Awesome. We'd have a big room for salsa dancing. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Castles usually do have a dancing yeah, they dance do. floor. They yeah. do. Absolutely. Right. So, yeah. Okay, Becky, where can people find you and your podcast? You can find us at catchinguptofi.com. That is our newly launched website. And we are uh, anywhere podcasts can be found. Mark, how about you? Um, I do have a blog, marksmoneymind.com. You can find me there. Um, and at a lot of campfire events and a lot of certainly like economy. I'll be there for sure. Um, and like I said, the FI Freedom Retreats in Bali, and I'm usually floating around the financial independence community. Awesome. Well, thanks for joining us today. Thanks everyone for the questions. And Carl, I'm ready to dance, buddy. Yeah, a uh, quick shout out to Stephen. So, one thing I want to mention I went to my first campfire many years ago, and I thought I would. Uh, Drop into the FI community and then drop back out quick. I'd get my money straight and that'd be it. And here I am 10 years later. If you're at all interested in this type of thing, uh, the people here mostly aren't scary. Maybe you, Doug. (laughs) Yeah, Stephen's great coming to one of these events. Cool. Good job. Awesome. That was good. good. Thanks for listening to the show. That was the Mile High Five podcast, and I'm Doug Cunnington, the Balder host, and Carl Jensen is the cool, sexy one. If you dig the show, please do three things for us. Number one, tell a friend, a family member, an enemy about the show. We really don't care who you tell. Maybe forward them a specific show that you know that they will like. It's the single most helpful thing that you can do to spread the word. It's like giving us a virtual high five and uh, actually we don't give high fives in in person. So the virtual kind is pretty good. And more importantly, your friend or family member or even your enemy will appreciate the fact that you were thinking of them. Number two, 
make sure you're following or subscribed on your podcast app, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Overcast, YouTube, whatever you're using. And that way you won't miss a show. And number three, please leave us a rating and review. We read them on the show occasionally, and you might hear yours out there on an upcoming episode. Quick disclaimer, this show is not financial or legal advice. I'd actually be surprised if it sounded like it. It's really just for entertainment, and that's at least what we're hoping for. But seriously, get advice from professionals. Carl and I are just two guys with microphones that sit in my basement and talk. So we'll catch y'all next week.